Uh, yeah, the reading this morning's from 1 Thessalonians, and it's the whole first chapter, starting at verse 1. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only into Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you, uh, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Today it's exciting, we get to start a series in the book of 1 Thessalonians called The Gospel Family and I'll tell you why I've given that a title in a few moments. But back in 2016, Trinity Church Golden Grove was planted from Trinity Church Mobbury. In the lead up to the plant, the then senior pastor got quite sick and soon returned to Sydney. The planting pastor ended up taking over as the senior pastor of Mobbury until Stephen George was appointed. A few months later, by God's grace and kindness, Trinity Church Golden Grove did begin and has since moved five times in five years. Um, but we're here today at this place, loving God, loving people, making disciples in Adelaide's north. You know, every church, different circumstances when they began, but they all began, every church has begun from a church plant. Someone came, a team, with the message of Jesus, they started preaching, people believed, others gathered, they kept meeting because they thought Jesus was pretty great and wanted more and more people to know about him too. And Thessalonica, which is the place we're looking at today, was a place in the, in the Mediterranean, in Macedonia, Macedonia sorry, that had no church. It was one of the most important cities along the famous Via Ignatia Highway. You can see the arrow there from where the road went. It was a trade route. Lots of military people, uh, lots of traders going along east to west. And Paul and his mission team uh, decided around AD 50 they had a heart to plant a church in this particular place. And Acts chapter 17, verse 1 to 10, give us all the various details which you can read about his second mission trip and how it all happened. It was a fruitful time in Thessalonica, but also very painful because he'd just been persecuted very heavily in Philippi, beaten up, had to travel 120 k's to the next town, and he arrived, and he began working as a tent maker. That was his trade. Some of you have trades. Paul was a tent maker. Soon after that, he began preaching, three weeks, in fact, in the synagogue. 
And as people started to hear and believe in Jesus, an intense wave of persecution came upon them. They were accused, these new Christians, of defying Caesar. They weren't. And it got so intense and so hot that Paul had to leave the town because they were going to kill him. And so then we have, a year later, 1 Thessalonians, the letter, which is in your Bible and my Bible today. So do have it open so we can work through it together. But it's a letter of Paul wanting to reconnect with this church. He'd heard a report from Timothy. Timothy had said, they're actually doing really well. They're flourishing in their faith. And so Paul is thrilled to bits to hear that they're going strong for Jesus, even though they're still being persecuted. They're thriving. They're thriving in persecution. And he writes this letter for two reasons, two, two parts. It's mainly just to encourage them. Thessalonians, we meet the God of encouragement. But specifically in chapter 1 and 3, he encourages and celebrates their faith. Encourages them and celebrates their faith. And in chapter 4 and 5, he encourages them to keep on, encourages them to keep on growing. And today, in, in chapter 1, as Natasha helpfully pointed out, we have the marinade of the rest of the letter that it sits in. Celebration. Specifically, celebrating that we are chosen and loved by Jesus. Celebrating that we can see Jesus at work in the lives of others. After all, celebrating and encouraging is what families do, isn't it? That's why I've called this the gospel family. Each week, we will see a different aspect of family life among the people of God. This week, it's about celebrating. Next week, it's all about why we do what we do, our motives for acting in a certain way as a church. I once worked for someone whose philosophy of leadership was, if you're doing a good job, I'll be silent. If you're doing a bad job, I'll tell you. And it's horrible, isn't it? Have you ever worked for someone like that? I heard this week huge numbers of people leave their jobs in Australia every year because of a lack of encouragement, a lack of recognition, a lack of celebrating that you've achieved the job, you've done what you were supposed to do, you had some wins and your boss just got on with the next thing and you just feel discouraged. Have you been there? Maybe you are here today after a week of feeling like that. But we're wired for encouragement, aren't we, as people? We thrive in celebration, don't we? Natasha showed us that, different moments in our lives. And the Apostle Paul, he knew, he knew how to lead well. He knew how to raise up gospel workers well. He knew how to teach people. He knew how they could improve. He knew, he knew how to give godly instruction that we benefit from today. He could explain how the gospel changes us and shape us and dig into all sorts of tricky theological ideas. And But you know, someone once said as well that if you're only tall as a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And Paul had more than a hammer of rebuke or exhortation in his pastoral toolbox. He knew the power of encouragement and celebration of what God was doing in one another's lives. Every letter he writes... Every letter but Galatians begins with celebration. Because part of encouraging the family of God is celebrating what God, what Jesus is doing in each other's lives. 
So in Thessalonians, for example, Paul hears the report, he's encouraged, they, they, they love Jesus, Jesus is worth it. And so he writes a letter to celebrate what God's doing. He's encouraged, he celebrates it, and in turn, they are encouraged back, you see. And it's important to get this celebration right for the Christian. Someone I read this week says that what we celebrate is just as important as what we believe. Because Paul and his team, they celebrate the gospel in a way that makes it clear that that's first importance. Everything comes back to Jesus in this chapter. He makes much of what Jesus is doing in their lives. He's not interested in their style of gathering or their music or the food or how the coffee is after the service. He's not interested in the ages of those in the church or the programs they run. He's not interested in the tradition they belong to or the non-traditional things they do. He doesn't celebrate that. He celebrates Jesus at work in their lives and the evidence he can see. And as the people of God, we have a unique and wonderful privilege of encouraging other to be more like Jesus and celebrating the wins that you and me see in each other along the way. So let's dig into that now to see exactly how Paul does this. You can follow on your outline. I have three points. We know you know and they know. We know, the first five verses, that we know that God loves you and He's chosen you and our gospel came powerfully. You know, you know that you've endured with great joy even though it's been hard. And then lastly, in the last two verses, they know. The whole world knows that you've repented and you wait for Jesus to return. We know, you know, they know. And finally, we'll end by asking, what does this mean for us today? And we'll see that it's to know and celebrate that we're loved and chosen by God. So, first point, we know. We know that God loved you and our gospel came powerfully to you. Here are the first five verses. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers We remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. As Paul reflects on the church, He's encouraged by them and celebrates what God is doing in them. He identifies the team behind this letter, the gospel team of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's a joint effort, right? It's a shared celebration. It's not just Paul that writes this letter. Eleven times in these ten verses we hear we or our language. Moreover, Thessalonians is not one of those your e-cards you might see online uh, that you might get encouragement from or a Hallmark greeting card you pick up from Big W on your birthday, he reminds them of, firstly, who they are and what they know. Look at verse 1, he says, To the church in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, team, you belong to God. And any sort of encouragement, any sort of Christian encouragement must begin here, in the gospel, pointing them to the one who gives grace and peace, who they are in. It was the 10th of May, 26th of May, sorry, 10, 11 p.m. My phone went off. 
There's a text message from someone in the church, and they were encouraging me. They said, the Jonah talks, I'm getting a lot out of them. This evangelism book we've been reading, it's fresh, it's personal, it's challenging. They pointed me to God, and they just said, I wanted to say thank you for what you've done to me in pointing me to Jesus too. That's what's going on here. And he celebrates them. The team celebrate them before God. Notice they say, we pray. We always thank God for you. We continually mention you in our prayers. Prayer is how you celebrate others in what the gospel is doing in their life. Have you ever prayed for someone like what Paul does here? After all, this is what makes Christian encouragement look and sound and smell different to other sorts of encouragement. We mention you in our prayers. He reflects on their short mission trip, a few weeks, and he remembers three things that he prays before God, that he saw Jesus doing in their lives. From different angles, he says, I remember your work, your labor, and your work, labor, and endurance, inspired by faith, hope, and love of Jesus. I thank God that I can see, I can actually see the visible change of Jesus in you. Because the thing is, you can't see that, the evidence of Jesus changing someone's life, if you're not hanging around them. A good friend of mine always said, Christians should know what the inside of each other's fridge looks like. That is, we should be around one another. It's just so normal to open the fridge when you walk into someone's home, like a family does. Dave Freer has been amazed again and again and again of all the encouragement and joy he's received from you. Over the last year and a bit through his cancer, the text messages, the how are you going, the emails, the encouragement. It's not been easy. But the many times he said to me, I've been so encouraged by what the church has been like through this time. And it's made him closer to God And we've been celebrating the wins that he's had along the way too. For Paul's gospel team, they can just see the evidence of Jesus in them. And there's something else to know as well in verse 4. He says, we know, brothers and sisters. The phrase brothers and sisters will appear over and over and over again in Thessalonians. And in the the, the world of Paul's day, um, brothers and sisters had some of the most important relationships. Think of them as the ancient version of Centrelink. Your relationship with your brother and sister was where you got encouragement, support. But also in times of trouble, they they were who you leaned on. They could be counted on for aid, for encouragement, for celebration, like no one else could be. And he says, sisters and brothers, in Jesus, here's what I know about you. Do you know this too? You're loved by God. You're chosen by God. Do you have that assurance today that you are loved and chosen by God? Can you say that and do you know that? So many Christians do not have that assurance. Are you loved and chosen by God? Maybe. I don't feel like it today. Paul doesn't doubt it in these folks. Consider the two words, chosen and love. Chosen is the word for elect. He's not going to unpack this doctrine or anything like that. He just says, I want to encourage you by the fact that God's chosen you. Doctrine is designed for encouragement. And love, biblically, love is more 
like a place than a feeling or approving someone's behavior or happiness. Love, you see, is located in God, in Him choosing them, in them being in Him. And from this location, for all Christians, the reminder is this, that our story begins in the heart and the mind of God. And does that encourage you? That you here, if you know Jesus, are loved and chosen by Him. And those two things should give buckets of assurance and encouragement. Because they're always true. God loves you. God has chosen you. That rests in God. And it will never change. Even if you do. Do you know that you're loved and chosen? I want to celebrate that in you. Can you celebrate that in one another? And he says, I know that's true because of how you believed. Because our gospel came to you, he says in verse 5, not simply with words, but with power, Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. There are words, and there are words, aren't there? There's playing an instrument, and there's playing an instrument. In community group this week, someone was telling me about a conversation at work. And they said, the workmate said, I'm feeling busy, I'm feeling anxious. And this person replied, and they thought of the Sam Chan book we've been talking about and reading. And he said, "Um, let me get the quote right. Oh, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. That's it. And then that conversation was joined by two other people. And they ended up talking about Jesus at work. Simple words. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's trouble is enough for the day. The Spirit used him. The words became words. And when Paul got to Thessalonica, that city, he only had words. No program. No denominational backing. No agenda. He had a back that was ripped apart from being lashed. He just had words. And the Holy Spirit. And when he spoke, the Holy Spirit, with power, with conviction, did amazing things with those words. Today, you might say, hopefully, at least, well, that was a good talk by Luke, and you get up and have lunch. Yet, one of you might sit here and be confronted with this Jesus of encouragement and the saviour of your life that you've never realised before, and you've heard the same thing as a person next to you, yet it changed your life today. It went, you went from death to life, you went from not believing Jesus to suddenly realising he is the Son of God, the Lord and King and your saviour. And you've both heard the same words. Yet the deep conviction of those words and the power to change your life came from the Holy Spirit of God, you see. One enjoyed it, The other's life was changed. That's how the gospel came to them at Thessalonica. So here's what he knows. We know that God loves you. The gospel came powerfully to you. I just want to celebrate that. Because we're so encouraged by that, you see. But it doesn't stop there. We know. Then he goes on to say, "Here's here's what you already know. I want to celebrate what you know already about yourselves, how you've endured with great joy. So the gospel team then reminds them of how they lived among them. He says, you've imitated us. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message 
in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. It's the only church Paul ever celebrates their imitation. So in Corinthians and Ephesians, he says, imitate me, imitate Jesus. But here, he doesn't say do it. He says, I'm so thrilled you're already doing it. Then notice how they imitate Paul and Jesus here. He says, you welcome the message in the midst of suffering with great joy given by the Holy Spirit. When Paul was in jail, do you know what he did? He sang songs. When Paul was beaten for talking about Jesus, he went on talking about Jesus. When Paul got to Thessalonica, he worked hard with his hands so that Paul would never be accused of profiting from the message of Jesus. Paul traveled from place to place to place, enduring suffering because Jesus is such good news, he really is worth it. And these new church, this new church, the church plant saw it, convicted by the Holy Spirit of the powerful truth and imitated him too because Jesus was worth it. There's a lady by the name of Barb, you may know her. She became a Christian a few years ago and she was diagnosed with cancer. And I called her one day and asked how she was feeling about this. New believer, cancer, can can be a bit shaky. I'm sure you would be, I would be. And her reply was a model to me. Here's what she said. She said, well, Jesus suffered for me on the cross. So what's a little bit of cancer to struggle through? After all, he will never leave me or forsake me. I'm safe in him. That was Barb's testimony of Jesus. She was a model for me. And the Thessalonians were a model for others. They became the pattern of commitment to Jesus in the entire region of Macedonia. Paul says, we know that God loves you and chosen you. Be encouraged by that. Then he says, you know that you've endured with great joy. Keep it up. And thirdly, he celebrates that the whole world knows they've repented and wait for Jesus. Their social media accounts had ballooned, their followers had increased, they were trending in the first century as Christians because a Christian model is an attractive thing. They know, the whole world knows, you've repented and wait for Jesus. Verse 8 to 10. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, there are some things in a culture that are so ingrained that when you say it and someone doesn't know it, you're puzzled and go, what? Have you been living under a rock? You know, um, dates, September 11, April 25, December 25th, June 30. It's my wedding anniversary, you should know that. Or stories, stories in our culture. Uh, Tiananmen Square, Ash Wednesday. Or what people have said, famous statements that have just stuck and you, you know, the recession we had to have. Or one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. If you mention the Thessalonian church in Paul's day, oh, that's the church who suffer well. What a great example for us. That's what Paul means when he says the Lord's message rang out from you. 
rang out to the idea of a, a loud clap of thunder that just goes on and on, a trumpet that echoes around, a storm that goes on for a very long time, a continual, slow, long burn, faithfulness sound, Thessalonians have got it. But it wasn't just their suffering, because you see that people knew their testimony. Maybe you've gone somewhere, I have, and you, you, you've heard about someone and you sit next to them or they sit next to you and they say, oh, you're that Luke. You're that person. It happened to me this week. I was at a, a, a morning tea and I sat next to someone and I said, oh, you're that pastor at that church. Normally, if that happens to you, the next thing you say, maybe I do anyway, is, well, I hope it's good news that you've heard. I get it with being a part of part of a Trinity church. People say to me, I'm from, say I'm from Trinity, uh, Church Golden Grove, and they often would say, oh, you're part of the church that plants churches. And if you'd met a Thessalonian back in Paul's day, you would say verse 9 and 10. You'd be telling about how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven. The whole world in this region knows that you have repented and wait for Jesus to return. And Paul's thrilled to hear those reports. And he wants to encourage them by celebrating the good news of Jesus, the gospel reputation they have, how it's spreading. And he does it by centering on three things. He says you've turned from idols, because turning from cultural idols is always a mark of Christianity in every age. Once you've turned, you realize the truth, goodness, of beauty of Jesus is worth serving. It's the idea, he's saying, of you have a new boss, a boss that has loved and has chosen you, a boss who gives you joy in suffering, a boss who is ever-present and kind and good. And thirdly, the story of Christianity is more than just here and now. It's a complete reorientation to God's story and a new future. ABC do a survey the last few years called Australia Talks. Maybe you've filled it in or heard some stats from it. I filled it in a few weeks back. One of the questions in the Australia Talks survey said this, are you optimistic about the future of the world? Are you optimistic about the future of the world? What do you think the percentage of Australians out of the 60 or 70,000 have done this survey? What's the percentage of yes, I'm optimistic and no, I'm not optimistic? What do you think? You can tell me a number and I'll tell you if you're close. What do you reckon? Optimistic, how many percent of Australians are optimistic? 20? 20? Too high. No, too high, too high. 7% of Australians are optimistic about the future of the world. 93% of people aren't. I wasn't one of them. But I get it. If your hope is only in the economy and or in the the um, the the environment, I can't say the word, the environment, or a vaccine rollout, or policies, or housing prices, or wondering what's going to happen with Russia and China, well, then there really isn't too much good to hope in on the horizon, is there? But that's not my ultimate hope. Is it your ultimate hope? Because it wasn't for the Thessalonians. Thessalonians, they were in the top 7% with me. They're waiting expectantly. They're looking forward with confidence towards a person, Jesus Christ. His return is the hope that guarantees it will all be okay. A hope that the best is yet to come because it's centered on a person, Jesus Christ. 
And unless you know Jesus, you'll never have the hope and be like 93% of Australians. And that means when you have that hope, you wait well, like the Thessalonians did. Waiting here doesn't mean standing in a line, bored, frustrated, annoyed. When we talk about waiting today, that's normally what comes to mind. But waiting here is the idea of waiting with anticipation like a child before Christmas or their birthday. Joy, exuberance, expectancy. That sort of waiting shapes what they do, what they won't do, because of what tomorrow will bring. If it's the day before Christmas, the child is very aware of things they're not going to do or will do because tomorrow is this day. And that's the kind of hope that the Thessalonians had because of Jesus, living in light of what's to come. They were doing that. And Paul says and celebrates in this first chapter, they're loved and chosen by God, and then he picks apart the evidence that he sees. We know this, you know that, the whole world knows it too. He's encouraged by them. He celebrates what he sees and encourages them back. And that's exactly what the chapter asks of us today. For no one celebrate that we are loved and chosen by God. As a people of God, we have a unique and wonderful privilege of celebrating what Jesus is doing, the winds along the way that we see, and that's deeply encouraging for others. Because the reality is that only a Christian can celebrate the gospel in someone's life. Only a Christian can celebrate another Christian like Paul and his team did here. Because you will not be encouraged for being a Christian and living like Jesus from Facebook or Instagram. The news will not encourage the Christians and say, well done, Julie, for what you've done handing out Bibles. Your work friends probably can't do that. Your family might be able to a little bit. But us here, right now, we can. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, before he was killed, made, uh, wrote many books, but one of them was called Life Together. Maybe you've read it. And in that, he has a very famous quote about Christian relationships. I put it on the screen. He says this, Christians need other Christians who speaks God's word to him. It's not gender-inclusive language, unfortunately. But he needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. What he does in this book called Life Together is drill down deeper and deeper and deeper on how community of God's people is God's kindness and grace to us to encourage each other. And the way we do it, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians, is by telling each other how I can see and know that you're loved and chosen by God. In fact, I was asked this this week by someone, and they said to me, how do you know that Trinity Church Golden Grove is full of people loved and chosen by God? He asked me that. And here's what I want to celebrate with you, how I know that you are loved and chosen by God. I know that you're a kind church, a kind church. I'm so thankful to God for the kindness that Jesus has shown you, which then you've shown me, and others, which I know happens. I love being with such a kind bunch of people week after week, Sunday after Sunday, day after day. And you're a faithful church. Not perfect, because I'm here, 
but not perfect, but faithful because week after week, year after year, you're here. You're committed to the gospel. You're committed to hearing it, to having it shape your life, not getting distracted by other things. And I'm so thankful that I can be a part of a church like that, that opens God's words, that seeks to encourage each other and celebrate what Jesus is doing week after week. You're a faithful church. And so my question is, as you look around, what can you celebrate in those around you this week? Can you see Jesus at work in someone's life? Can you see the change the gospel has made upon them with those here? So how will you celebrate that? You're not making money. You're not exalting them. You're just saying, I know Jesus is at work. I can see it. Be encouraged. I'm celebrating it. God's wonderful. Let's give him all the glory. But let's notice it. Let's not be like the boss I had those years ago that said, if you're doing well, I'll be silent. And if you're doing wrong, I'll correct you. So how will you celebrate what Jesus is doing in your brother and sister this week? Let's pray. Our great, kind God, I thank you that Jesus came to live and die and forgive so that we have the hope that you will return and make all things new. And that when we trust you, that's our future too. And right now as we live, it's discouraging. It's hard and painful. Yet in your grace and kindness, Jesus, you give us the church, your people, to see the wins, to see the difference Jesus makes, to celebrate that in each other's lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a gospel family church that celebrate what you're doing, motivate one another on, because that's encouraging. It's how you've wired us to live. And that in all things, you will be given the glory, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.